The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Um, so we're going to turn to the book of Daniel. If you have your Bible, open to Daniel chapter 3. We have been studying through the Bible in a series called Binge the Bible, and we purposely stole the Netflix logo, so hopefully we won't be sued for copyright infringement. Um, because we binge all kinds of TV. Somebody say amen. amen. We do. We all do. Um, but sometimes we don't read our Bible. And so we were doing Binge the Bible, and I challenged everyone in Christchurch in January to read the whole Bible in six months, which is an alarming rate. This week, if you're still doing that, you're gonna read three of the minor prophets in one day. Okay, so this is a big deal. Um, and I know that a lot of people started this, and we're super excited in January, in February. In March, we started to kind of stop talking about it. You had feelings like, don't worry, I'll catch up. And by May, you're like, I can't do it, I'm a loser. I don't finish things that I start. <laughs> I, I'm never going to be able to get through this. So listen, my challenge was to get you in the scriptures, not to make you check a box or feel good about yourself, okay? Um, the reason you should feel good about yourself is because God loves you, and that's what's in here. Do you understand? And so like, if you didn't finish or you're off track, that's fine. Like, that's fine. Come to church, read your Bible as much as you can, as often as you can, and understand it more and more and more every single time. That's the goal, Right? And so here's what's gonna happen. Saturday, we're gonna start the New Testament. So Friday's our last day reading in the Old Testament using the six-month Bible plan on the YouVersion app. And so if you've been following along and you fell behind, I wanna challenge you afresh to start reading with us in the New Testament. I know the Old Testament was a little hard for people. It was long, it was difficult, disconnected, a little challenging. The New Testament's a lot more familiar. It's easier reading and there's only a little bit of it. And so we're gonna start it on Saturday of this week. And so get the app, go back to it, Zip forward, find Matthew chapter one and start reading with us as we bring this series to a conclusion over the next few weeks. Can we, can we try that together? And even if we don't finish, I won't make you feel bad, I promise. All right, I promise. So start with Matthew. I do wanna tell you too, there's a bug in the system. So some of you are reading ahead, you've already found this. When you get to Matthew, the Bible reading plan takes you to Matthew chapter one and then you immediately go to Matthew chapter 14 for some reason instead of chapter two, and then you go to chapter three, which is really a mind job. If you're listening to the scripture, you're like, oh, genealogy of Jesus, and John is beheaded. Okay, whoa, I feel like I missed something. I've had this feeling reading the Bible a couple times, but now I really feel it, you know? So I just wanna warn you, you have to physically go to chapter two and read it, and then select it like it's chapter 14. And I don't know why someone hasn't fixed this yet in this technological age in which we live, but so it is. So, Pick up with us on Saturday. All right, Daniel chapter three. I'm gonna to preach to you from our reading from this week, a sermon that I'm calling Faith in the Fire. Faith in the Fire from a very familiar story for many of us. And that is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. You guys remember this story from the felt board? Do you remember this? The VeggieTales version, do you guys remember? Okay, so... I, the challenge we have when we go to a familiar story is we already think we know what it means and it becomes, we read right past it and sometimes we miss the importance of this. Now, I wanna set this up for you and so I'm gonna do this sermon a little different. So usually I'll read a text and that'll be our text. I'll read it, I'll pray, I'll go back to it, I'll take it apart, we'll talk about it, we'll apply it at the end and we'll get out of here ready to take over the world for Jesus, right? That's what we typically do. Well, this is a whole chapter, it's 30 verses. And I want to set it up for you. So I'm going to actually just read it with a little commentary for like the back two thirds of the sermon. But up front, I want to set up why it matters. Okay. I'm telling you this because we get nervous when we're listening to a preacher preach who hasn't read his text yet. And you feel like I'm never going to get out of church. 
Now, the good news is there's another sermon, another service coming in right after this. So I have to finish. Like, I literally have to finish. But I don't want you to feel angst because I love you, okay? So I want to give you this sermon, and I am going to pray in just a second. But first, I want to set this up for you. Now, we've been reading the Old Testament, and it's become very clear in the Old Testament that God made the world and everything in it, and everyone belongs to him. Somebody say amen. Amen. He's the maker. But all humankind is essentially broken through a disconnection with God that began with our first parents, Adam and Eve, at the fall when they distrusted and disobeyed God. Do you understand this? And so humanity is moving further and further and further away from God. And the story of the Bible is how God keeps moving closer and closer and closer to humanity, despite the fact that evil gets worse and worse and worse on the earth. And so God makes Adam and Eve. They, God makes a promise in Genesis 3.15. There's going to be a seed of the woman. All of humanity is looking to the children of the women of God's people. And then everything gets terrible. And in, in Genesis chapter 6, God floods the earth in judgment, but he preserves Noah because of his grace and his faithfulness to his word. And then we see Abraham in chapter 12, and the story continues. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, contended with God. He has, he has 12 sons by four women. It gets weird. And that, those become the heads of tribes, and a nation is formed, and God's covenant faithfulness is to this people. But this nation of Israel has these callings, and part of the calling of the nation of Israel is to reveal who God is, because the true knowledge of God has been lost in a world disconnected and disobedient to God. And so their calling is to reveal the glory and the holiness of God. They're trying to shine a light, magnify the Lord so that other people can see. The way they live their lives ought to be a reflection of the nature and character of God. This is why there's so much in the Old Testament about holiness. Do you see this? And so there's a revelation component to their calling. But then there's also an invitation component to their calling, which oftentimes gets overlooked in the Old Testament. We don't see it because we think of the distinctions of Israel contrasted around the people around them. And so it feels like God's people equals good people, not God's people equals bad people. Stay away from the bad people so that you don't get influenced by the bad people and become bad. And then that happens. And we raise our children this way too. Like, don't play with Johnny across the street. He's a rotten little snotty-nosed punk. He's bad for you. Don't... Meanwhile, your kid's a snotty-nosed, rotten little punk. And you, you see how this works? So we forget that this isn't about us and them. It's about revelation and invitation. Do you see this? So this is really clear in Exodus chapter 19. I told you I was setting this up. Go with me. Um, this is when God has delivered his people Israel out of bondage in, in Egypt and brought them to himself in the wilderness at Sinai. He's about to give them the Ten Commandments and start a new society, a new nation of people with a new identity based on their relationship with God. That's what's about to happen in these chapters. Listen to these short verses in Exodus 19. There in the wilderness of Sinai, Israel encamped before the mountain, the appointed place where God was gonna reveal himself to Moses. While Moses went up to God, the Lord, which is the covenant name of God, so God is El and the Lord is Yah or Yahweh, The Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, synonymous Jacob with Israel, the whole nation, all these people, and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Do you see the reconnection through covenant and through deliverance? It's not just about them being free. It's about them being gods. They belong to him now. Do you see this? I brought you out of bondage and into freedom, but freedom to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
You shall be my treasured possession among the peoples. For all the earth is mine. And check it out. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. If the whole nation of Israel is a kingdom of priests, then who is interacting with God through them? Everyone else. Do you see the purpose, the calling, the function? It's not only about revelation by showing the world the glory and nature of God in holiness by living distinctly among the peoples of the world, but there is a calling to invitation to be a kingdom of mediating priests. So kingdom of priests and holy nation. Do you see it? Revelation, invitation. Do you understand? We have that same calling as New Testament, New Age, spirit-filled followers, disciples of Jesus. We are here to live lives that demonstrate a revelation of the nature and character of God. We still receive his covenant through the blood of Jesus, and we still obey his commands and abide in his word and live our lives in, in accordance to what he has revealed, and that is a revelation to the world, and it ought to look different than the world around us, yes? And we are called to be a nation of priests. This is what Peter called us. He's referencing this passage and he's saying, we exist here to intercede and mediate on behalf of broken, disconnected people and to call them back to the God who made them. Do you see this? And so there is a calling on the Christian church to be revealers and inviters. Okay? Now, because of this, we will face opposition. Do you understand? The enemy has the exact opposite strategy. He is working through lies as the father of lies to conceal and distort the true nature of God. He wants to promote a version of God that is not God so that people run from God instead of back to God. So he's concealing. And then the manner in which he fulfills his purpose is not through invitation, which allows the the free will of people to make a choice for themselves and come willingly into the presence of God, but through coercion, by leveraging with fear against people to control them and to oppress them. Do you understand? And so here we are as light and darkness meant to be revealing and inviting in contrast to a world that is seeking to conceal and to control. Does this sound familiar? Does this feel like you're weak? A little bit? Maybe you work from home. This is, this, this is the space we live in. Now, I'm mentioning this because up until this point, we haven't suffered much. We haven't faced much opposition. We've had some dirty looks at the community mailbox. We have been unfriended after a rather ugly and abrasive direct message. Stab me in the heart, persecution. That's been the extent. Some of, some, some of us, not, not all of us. I know there's people who have really suffered, but for the most part, as a nation, collectively, we suffered very little. Here's the problem. The fire is coming and is upon us. I don't know if you feel it or not. This air conditioner stopped working this morning. And I just don't want to mislead you because I don't want you to think that I'm about to preach a message on the fiery furnace. So I'm like telling the boys, like, cut the AC. Just turn it off. Just turn it off. That's very manipulative, although that would have been quite the experience, but I didn't think of it. And, and, and I, know, I have a feeling that it's just like a very small part, like a capacitor blew out there and it won't turn the unit on. And we have another unit in this room that's working, so it's a little colder over here than it is over here. So if you're like sweating a little bit over here, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's just the air conditioner, okay? Just wanna like be real with you guys for a second. Also, I'm being real, I, I know that it might be a capacitor. I also believe that there may be like 
like a, an older thin woman with a shawl who's been praying against our air conditioner. I just wonder because I keep it like 54 degrees in here and I do that for myself. I love you, but this is for me, okay? Because I'm on the verge of sweating 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And it doesn't bother me during the week when I'm wearing board shorts and a t-shirt because I can just change. Um, but when I'm trying to preach, I will sweat like a pig under these lights. And I just want you to know it's like four degrees warmer just on this platform than it is down there, okay? Now you're like, where is he going with this? What is happening here? <laughs> I just want you to know the heat is coming. Do you understand? You're feeling it a little bit? Okay. It's not the air conditioning. The heat is coming. Listen, we live in a world who has been slowly utilizing the, the tools of the enemy, but it's been happening with just a little bit of pressure. But it's now happening with a lot of pressure, and there's going to be a tipping point when we get to Nebuchadnezzar-level pressure. I don't know when that tipping point is coming. It could be five years from now. It could be 50 years from now. I don't know. But here's what I've observed in my short lifetime. And I, I had this experience. I started community college as a dual-enrolled high school student in 1997. I got a two-year degree in the early 2000s. I finished going part-time. And then I went back for my bachelor's degree in 2020 and finished. And I experienced the, the, the uh, academic world 20 years apart from each other, and it changed drastically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drastically. The, the, the emphasis on, for me, getting a bachelor's degree, and I, at the time I was almost 40, not 18, not 19, 20, like the kids who were in, I was in school with, was I will be happier when I own nothing and the world is more like China than any place else. That's what I was taught. And here's what ethics looks like, and it's completely divorced from anything I've ever believed in my life, and it looks scary to me. And that's what kids are being taught is good and normal, and so what we are saying, while it is revelatory, is going to sound like an attack. Do you understand? And so at some point, there's going to be this, the world is going to flip. Now, right now, there's a very, very loud minority making it seem like it's much bigger than it is. But that'll only last for so long because whoever has the loudest voice gains the most followers. Do you understand? And when there's a lot of people caught in the middle, this is just how this is going to work. Now, here's the strategy that I have personally experienced. I have lived in a world where you are allowed to, you do you and I do me, and I was kind of like a libertarian 20-something. It was kind of like, okay, we'll just leave the laws alone. You practice your, your happiness, I'll practice my happiness, and we'll just be fine co-mingling, right? That was kind of like the gist. Remember those bumper stickers from the 90s and early 2000s, coexist, remember those? There's probably a few of those on cars in this parking lot. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just saying it represents this concept of we can all do this together, and we got our cross on there, and there's some other religious symbols, coexist. Now listen, what happens, though, is that you get leveraged into toleration. And you go, okay, it sounds kind of quasi-Christian to tolerate. You do you, I'll do me. And so we allow for toleration. And it means I don't approve of what you're doing or what you're saying, but I'm not going to stop you from doing it. I'm just not going to do it myself. Right? The problem is once you've moved over to toleration, now the leverage pushes you into acceptance. Now you have to say, it's okay. It's not, I can think it's bad for me, but I can't say it's bad for you. It's fine for you. In fact, it could be good for anyone. And so you've just gotten smaller and your voice has been diminished. Yes? Do you guys feel this? Yes. Once you've moved into acceptance, now you're being forced into celebration. True. Now, now not only do you have to say it's okay, now you have to say, let's have a party about it and wave a flag True. and give a day or a month to it. And if you don't, then there's something wrong with you. And so we just stop talking about it while the celebration rages on. Do you understand? 
The problem is once you move to celebration, where you go, yay, this is okay, it's fine. Then you get leveraged into participation. And now you have to do it. Do it. And if you don't do it, we're coming for you. And you're like, wait a second, I was just tolerating this and I was in the majority and we were saying it's not good, but we're gonna let it happen. And then we all said it was okay if you did it. And now you're saying I have to say it's a good thing. And now you're saying I have to participate in it. And yes, and that is what is happening around us. And what will happen is you will get to a point, a tipping point where now there will be a threat against your well-being or your freedom because you're gonna oppose it and say something or not participate in it. That's coming to a theater near you. The problem is the coexist bumper sticker has stopped meaning coexist and it started meaning comply. Do you understand? And if you don't, then you're going to be shut down, silenced, attacked, criticized, and called names that you're not, that you're not, but it's a control mechanism. It's concealing the truth by calling it hate and it's coercing and controlling people through threats of violence. But we are here on this planet to be a holy nation that lives differently and shows the world what God is actually like and presents a compelling invitation to be a part of what God made people truly for. Now, here's the the good news. Truth always prevails. You you have to tell a million lies to to suppress the truth. You know that? And somehow the truth grows up like a daisy in the sidewalk. And so like, it's okay, but this is what's coming. And so... I know this is happening, and because this is happening, I wanted to talk to you from Daniel chapter three. Now, the center reality of why this matters is that the greatest blessing to be experienced in this life is a personal relationship with the living God. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's not a retirement plan. It is not a second home on the beach. It is not um, your body looking Uh, at 60, like it looked at 25. It is not numbers in your bank account. It is not the quality of your marriage, the number of your children. It is not all the things that the enemy would like to conceal and distort God and get you running after and living your life towards. The reality is there's nothing more deeply satisfying as a human being than living every moment of every day in a personal relationship with the living God. Because you were made by him and you were made for him and you were made to walk with him. And I know him. I got up and talked to him this morning. There's nothing special about me, everybody. And honestly, there's nothing special about you either. (laughs) But God loves you to pieces. And he just wants you to flourish. And he made you on purpose. And he's got a a plan for you. And he, he treasures you and cherishes you. And he wants you to live in such a way that you are so loved and so happy and so filled with peace and so fixated with hope that you're dangerous. Do you understand? You're not afraid. You're not afraid of giving up your life because of what matters to you more than life itself because of your relationship with God. Do you understand? This is what the world is craving and they're being offered a crap sandwich and told to eat it and like it. Do you understand? The world needs what God has entrusted to us. Sorry, I say crap in church. Sorry. I know some parents, you're like, you don't let your kids say that. They're like, well, Pastor Jesse says it. I know where this is going. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. Daniel chapter three, Daniel chapter one, verses one to seven, introduce us to what happens. I read it in the first service. I don't have time. I've already talked too much. 
Daniel chapter one, verses one to seven, we're introduced to these four Jewish boys who were carried off in the first wave of the exile when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Israel. He hadn't yet destroyed the temple. That happened in 586. But he, earlier than that, he, brought, he snatched all the, the cream of the crop and he took them. And among them were Daniel and Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And these are Jewish boys who are the cream of the crop of nobility and of the royal family. And they're all the tribe of Judah. And they're forced to come in to be indoctrinated into the ways of Babylon, change their language, change their names, change their dress code, and then turn them into Babylonian servants and slaves. That's the goal. And so God miraculously delivers them in a couple different ways because they're faithful and he shows his, his um, power. And in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that no one can interpret and he doesn't know what it means. And God uses Daniel to not only tell him what that dream is, but to interpret that dream. And then Daniel is given this role of like top dog. And then he brings his three buddies along with him. And so they're instantly promoted. But that isn't because Nebuchadnezzar hasn't had a change of heart. He just had an experience. That doesn't last very long. It fizzles because he's aligned himself with the powers of darkness. And so he's being concealed and controlled. And therefore he is concealing and controlling. And in chapter three, um, we get these seven short, punchy little scenes. And I just want to walk them through and I want to show you how to have faith in the fire. Uh, So scene one is the image. Somebody say the image. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. And he set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon big gold statue. The king Nebuchadnezzar sent uh, to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Remember God made an earth and he put something in it that had the image of God? What was that? We were the image of God. Now Nebuchadnezzar saying, I am God, that's the image. The second commandment was no graven image, right? We're not gonna do this. And so this is now happening. And then it doesn't just go from the dedication of this image and the setting up of this image. It goes to scene two, the command. Somebody say the command. Somebody? The command. Okay, thank you. Just making sure you were listening. Um, Verse three. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces. There's a lot of repetition in this chapter gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded. See the coercion? It's not an option. It's not optional. You have to do it. O peoples, nations, and languages. And when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, you didn't know there were Scottish people here, every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, there's a lot of people who are there. Oh, bother. I roll Nebuchadnezzar, blah, 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 blah. Back to work. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, the nations, the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Coercion usually works on the masses, doesn't it? Because people would like to live and just go about their lives. Scene three, the accusation. Somebody say the accusation. Thank you for playing along. Verse eight. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, Babylonians, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Why? Because these were men of faith and faithfulness. And they had been promoted in Babylon because of the activity of God. And there's nothing worse in a 
corrupt system of power than people with integrity. They won't take a bribe. You can't blackmail them. They don't play by the rules and they can call you out and you get in trouble. They got to die. They got to die. The swamp is not a new thing, folks. And so they are maliciously accused. They are hated. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, these accusers, O king, live forever. You, O king, listen to the flattery, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. In the original language, it was fiery, fiery, fire. This fire was hot, hot, hot. That was the point, okay? (laughs) There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Those dirty birds. How dare they? We got to take care of this pronto. Listen, this is... You know, how many, you know how many COVID vaccine mandate exemption forms I wrote in the last three years? Because you have to or else. Now I'm saying, hey, if it's a good thing, convince me and invite me. You understand how this works? No, you must or else or else you're fired. Now I'm not commenting on the efficacy of vaccines or the, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. I'm talking about the coercion. Do you understand? That's all I'm talking about, the coercion. And this is what you will or else, this is what is happening. And listen, when you have people that go, I don't worship your God. I don't fear what you fear. I don't love what you love. So I'm not gonna do what you're telling me to do. That's what's gonna happen. We've already felt this a little bit. It's coming, the accusation. Then we get to the center section of these seven scenes, the test. Somebody say the test. This is the center. This is what faith is all about. I call this faith in the fire. And whenever you have a faith, a revelation about faith, there's a test involved and this is the test. Scene four, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego be brought. How dare they defy me? So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, and the bagpipes, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good, but... If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the hot, 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 fiery, fiery fire. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And their answer is, funny you should ask. It's my favorite question in section four. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego passed the test. Here's what they say to the king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't need to think about it. We don't need to negotiate. We don't need to form a union. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will Deliver us out of your hand, O king. And this is what I love the most. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Praise the Lord. 
Listen, this is the essence of faith. And this requires a knowledge of God that is so compelling that you love him more than life. Do you understand? If your faith does not bring you into relationship with God, where you know God and love him more than living, then you don't know God. Or you don't know him well. Maybe you know him a little, like you know your neighbor. What's his name again? Weird guy that walks the black dog. Yeah, I know him. We were at a Christmas party. You don't know him. Do you understand? Because faith says, first and foremost, God is able. I have, I have no doubt about the power of my God. None. Zero. My God, able. There's nothing he can't do. There's some things he won't do. He won't lie. He won't change and he won't leave. But there's nothing he can do. That's my God. Secondly, faith says he will deliver. Listen, it's one thing to say God is all powerful. It's another thing to know him so intimately that you know he loves you enough to actually do something. Because a lot of times we actually doubt that God cares about us. Yeah, he's powerful, he's able, but will he? I don't know, I don't know. What have I done for him lately? That's not how this works. A covenant relationship with God leads you to know that he can and he will. But more importantly than both of those two realities is this, that you know that your allegiance to God means that I would rather die than lay down my face for your idol. I'm not doing it. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. My question for you is, is the God that you profess to believe in worth that response? Because that question is coming for you. This test is coming for you. And it's going to come in little various ways. There's going to be a leverage against you. No, just tolerate it. Uh, I don't want to, but okay. Well, now you got to accept it. Ah, I don't want to, but I don't really want to deal, deal with this. Okay. Okay. Now you're going to celebrate it. Post the picture, wave the flag, put the sign in your yard, do it or else. And if you give into that, it's forced participation. And by then your God is so small that there's not enough bravery or boldness or knowledge of him left. There's not enough faith left for you to stand up to the king. Do you understand? Scene five, we're rounding the corner. And we're not having a song after, so don't, don't get uncomfortable. I know, I know some of you, I have a service coming in right after this. So was, we're gonna be done on time, I promise. Scene five, the furnace. Let me say the furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He went from mad to Hulk. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them in to the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound with their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and all their other garments, all the fodder for the fire. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent, the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Listen, your faith in God does not keep you out of the fire. Do you know that? There's no promise or expectation that your faith in God will keep you out of the fire. Do you know that? If someone's sold you something different, they're lying to you. At Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God is able, he will deliver, but if not, and in they went. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four 
men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. What was on TV that night, King? Staring into the fire. You know what? God doesn't promise to keep you out of the fire, but he never will let you go in there alone. When the boys went in the fire, they found that Jesus was already there. And the only thing that caught on fire and burned up were the things that bound them, and they were set free. They're experiencing the miraculous provision of the salvation of God in his very presence, and the hottest flames that Nebuchadnezzar could cook up couldn't touch them. In fact, they went for a little tour of the fiery furnace. Oh, Boys, I've heard you've heard of this furnace, this fiery burning furnace. Would you like to look around? Let's go look at this corner. Ah, this is the hot corner. This over here is the very, very, very hot corner. Isn't it hot over here? They're just walking around in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar's eyeballs are popping out of his head. Why? And what did this fourth man look like? Like, what was his image? Like, we get these pictures, these glimpses, these Christophanies, when God personifies himself and comes down, and he's seen with blazing eyes of fire and, and glimmering with light and robes where he looks wrapped in fire. What does fire look like in fire? I don't even know. Jesus was right in his element, no pun intended. You see this? Now, listen, here's the good news. Here's the good news for us. This is a miracle of deliverance, and it's recorded for us because the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was with them in the fire. But God does more than promise to be with you in the fire. He promises to be the fire in you. Do you know that? The fire of boldness, the fire of, of truth, the fire of revelation, the fire of invitation to go, I, I don't live here. This is not my world. You ever had this moment when you're living, you're looking around and you're going, this is not the world I grew up in. This is not the world of my past. This is not the world of my nostalgia. I wish it would go back to the way it was. Forget that line of thinking. You need to have this thought. This is not my world. These are not my people. I am in the fire with Jesus, but I am not consumed, and I am here for a reason, and that reason is revelation and invitation. And so we ought to be people speaking up for boldness and truth without fear and inviting people into a life that we are living that is divinely attractive and compelling because it is defined by love and joy and peace and hope. Amen. Scene six, we're almost done. The deliverance. They're still in the fire. We left them in the fire. We should hurry up. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. It's hot. He can't get too close. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Still bossing people around. Some people never learn. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Of their own volition, by the way. We'll be out in just a minute. <laughs> they walked out. They didn't even smell like smoke. You got nothing. You got nothing on me. <sighs> and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. Their hair, their head was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. I can't even go to a backyard barbecue without coming home smelling like smoke. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. You see the revelation? You see their faithfulness and their boldness led to a revelation for Nebuchadnezzar. You see how this works? Unfortunately, he didn't, he didn't respond to the invitation, at least not yet. There's more to come in this book if you read it. 
Verse 29, he still uses the old tactics. Therefore, I make a decree. <laughs> I'm going to command everyone, any people, nation, language, that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Do you see how they only have one tool in their toolbox and it's coercion by threat. Do you understand? Even when they're right, they're wrong. Now listen, I'm gonna end right here. In the opening chapter, the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar did to these Jewish boys was change their name. In Hebrew, the word for God is El, and the word for the name of God is Yah. So we get Yahweh or El, and those are used interchangeably, and sometimes it says God or it says the Lord. And in the names of these boys is the character and the connection to God. Daniel means God is my judge. And so I'm not afraid of you. You're not my judge. What you say about me, I don't have to believe. I don't have to receive it. I don't have to acknowledge that you said it. You are not my judge. I know my, who my judge is. And what he says about me is true. You see how freeing that is? Hananiah, God has been gracious to me or cherished one of God. This is why God can be your judge and you cannot be terrified out of your living wits because he's been gracious. Do you understand? We approach God. He is our judge. And so that's a comfort to us and not a terror because he has been gracious. You know what Mishael means? Who is like our God? Who is like our God? And Azariah, the Lord is my help. Now, Nebuchadnezzar changed their names to Bel Teshazzar for Daniel. Bel protects his life. <laughs> Wrong answer. Shadrach means at the command of Aku. Aku is one of the Babylonian gods. Meshach means who is like Aku. Do you see the play there? We're gonna dethrone you. We're gonna take your God from you. And they change their names. And then lastly, Abednego means servant of Nebo. But no, the Lord is my help. And here's what I'm challenging you for faith in the fire. You've gotta to come to a relationship with God where your name is only God is my judge. Where your name is my God has been gracious to me. I am cherished and I have no fear of him. And so I have no fear of you. And in the world of comparison, who, who, who is like my God? Nobody. He's the top. There's nothing better. And so you can't tempt me. You can't draw me away. You can't threaten me. And no matter what fire I face, the Lord is my help. Amen. Do you see it? This is what's going to position you for faith in the fire. Scene seven's one verse. And here we are done. Verse 30. Look at the result. Look at what the outcome after this proclamation, this evil coercive proclamation from Nebuchadnezzar, verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They went from being provoked to punished to promoted. We want you dead. Now you're in charge of everything. Do you see the result of faith and faithfulness and boldness? This is what the world craves. And Jesus said a similar thing in Matthew chapter six. What are you gonna be anxious about? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What can they take from you? How can they punish you? How can they control you? What are the things you're afraid of giving up? Why would you be anxious about those things? Jesus says, the godless, the Gentiles seek after these things. That's what they're preoccupied with. But your father in heaven knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things will be added to you. Do you know that? You get to have your cake and eat it too. It just has to bake first. Do you understand? And so don't be afraid of the fire. So as a reminder, God does not always deliver us from the fire, but he always comes to us and delivers us in the fire. You will find him 
where the heat gets turned up, that's where you will find Jesus. And listen, there's a lot of sellouts out there right now, a lot. It's sad, it breaks my heart, it really does. There's a lot of sellouts who are even making a Christian version of whatever the culture is pushing. There's a Christian version of it. And that's, that breaks my heart. That's evil. That's blasphemy to me. But listen, God becomes invisible because of the sellouts. But God becomes magnified when you're sold out. Do you know that? When you go all in, you go, you know what? I got nothing else to lose. I'm done. I'm not trying to retain any dignity, any friends, any approval, any, any success from the world. I'm leaving your system. I'm completely sold out. I'm all in, all chips in towards Jesus that's when God becomes visible. And that's what our world so desperately needs. So here's my questions for you, and I'm gonna pray. Do you know God in such a way that you would give up everything to follow him, even to death? And if the answer is not, I do today, that needs to be the top of your list for tomorrow morning. Do I know God that way? Because he's done everything to know you that way. Are you living in such a way that reveals the beauty and perfection, the glory and holiness of God to those who see you and know you? Or are you trying to keep it quiet into yourself, hoping that no one will notice? Are you compelled inwardly by a desire for others to know and experience the redeeming love of God? Do you believe that's actually what people are looking for? That they're mistaken and caught up in this concealing, deceitful coercion, but they're looking for the very thing you have are you compelled by that? This is what's gonna change the world. We've gotta be a culture, a people of revelation and invitation. And so what changes can you make to increase your faith and your love for God? This is why I wanted you to read the Bible in six months, by the way. I wanted you to provoke yourself into believing God bigger and stronger and loving God more. And what areas of your life require repentance and change? Some, some of the things we're doing, our lifestyles, our choices, they're just not okay. And if we hide, we're okay with being not okay and people can't see the hypocrisy. But if you're called to live a life that shows the glory of God, you've gotta actually live that. Do you realize that? Which means there's some things that you, you gotta to listen to that nagging voice on the inside of you that says, you gotta stop that. You gotta get help for that. That's gotta be overcome. You gotta turn from that and toward God in order to bring the revelation and the holiness that God is after. So I'll leave that between you and the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, what is one way that you can move toward those who don't know God and invite them into the joy and the power of your own personal experience? What's one way? It could start by learning the names of your actual neighbors, by the way. Amen? Listen, if you're here and you don't know God this way, but everything I'm saying to you resounds so true in your spirit that you can't shake it, that's God calling your name and he wants you right now to give your life to him completely. He wants you to be one of the sold out ones and he wants to put his full measure of his spirit on the inside of you right now so that you can start to know him this way. And I wanna invite you to do that. Our prayer teams are gonna be up here. They'd love to pray with you in person and lead you into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I'm gonna pray for the rest of us as we go out from here, amen. Holy Spirit, fill us with a boldness. It's no mistake that you descended on the day of Pentecost, which we celebrate next Sunday, by the way, as tongues of fire. And so be the fire in us so that we're not afraid of the fire around us and loose our tongues so that we speak of the glory and beauty and majesty of who our God is. Empower us, Holy Spirit, we pray, to go deeper in our relationship with you and to know you in such a way 
that we are fierce, even to the point of death. The days are over for a defensive church. It is time for us to be mobilized in truth and in boldness with no coercion and no threats, but only a demonstration of real life and an invitation to receive it for yourself. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to do your work in us and to do your work through us to the glory of God in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Come pray with us before you leave. If you have any need of prayer, we'd be honored to pray for you. We'll see you next Sunday.